This morning we're going to be looking at a fox and a chicken. For we're going to be considering Jesus' encounter with Herod and then with Pilate. Two men who together wielded significant political power and who serve as a warning of how not to respond to Christ. So some background information. Herod, whom Jesus referred to as that fox in Luke 13 verse 32, and whose full name was Herod Antipas, was the son of Herod the Great. Now his Jewishness was always contested, for his father was the son of an Idumean and Arab parents. Educated in Rome, upon his father's death, he was appointed as Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. Normally, a Tetrarch ruled over a fourth of a kingdom, but this time there were only three Tetrarchs, the others being his full brother, Archelaus, and his half-brother, Philip. And Herod would rule over his allotted part of his father's kingdom from 4 BC right through to 36 AD. So he had not as long as a reign as our late queen, but he did have quite a long reign, particularly in those days. But morally, Herod was a real low life. Luke 3 verse 19 tells us that he was guilty of doing many evil things. And three in particular stand out. First of all, Herod persuaded Herodias, the wife of his half-brother Philip, to marry him. And that then meant that he divorced his own wife. That was to say, he married his sister-in-law. And just to make matters worse, she was also his niece. And it was indeed because of this marriage that John the Baptist had denounced Herod, resulting then in Herod's second major offense. He had John the Baptist thrown into prison. And then, to cap it all, he foolishly agreed to his daughter's request that John's head be served up on a platter as the reward for the sensual dance that she agreed to perform for Herod's dinner guests. I might add that Luke records that some Pharisees later warned Jesus that Herod was seeking to have him killed. Luke 13 verse 31. Now, we don't actually know for certain whether that was uh, true. But if it were true, then Herod was following in the footsteps of his father, who of course had tried to get Jesus killed when he was a mere infant. Herod was to say the least, a really unsavory character. 
And Jesus' description of Herod as a fox, which can be taken to mean that he was sly, or that he was destructive, or that he was a worthless person, does seem especially apt. Michael Wilcock, one of the commentators, maintains that Herod is the most contemptible of all the characters on the stage of Good Friday. Next up then, Pilate, that is Pontius Pilate. He was the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judah, serving under the emperor Tiberius from 26 to either 36 or 37 AD. Pilate, of course, was a Roman, but little is known of his life before he became governor of Judea or indeed of the immediate circumstances surrounding his appointment to that position. He's presented by both the Jewish historian Josephus and the Greek-Jewish philosopher Philo as ruling in a way that seriously offended the religious sensibilities of the Jews. So that's the background. Let's turn then to this morning's text. So we're in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 26. Luke 23, verses 1 to 26. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off, Jesus off, to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say. Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends before they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, 
for he sent them back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Two initial comments. Obviously, the context in which we meet Herod and Pilate is that of the Jewish leader's determination to get Jesus put to death. They had held their own sham trial, but the Jewish leaders did not themselves possess the legal power to execute Jesus. They needed the Romans to do that for them. And hence, Jesus had been shuffled off to Pilate. Second, whereas Jesus' encounter with Pilate occurs in all four of the Gospels, and we actually get a lot of additional information in the Gospel of John, but it is only Luke who records his encounter with Herod. Given that the Jewish establishment knew that their charge of blasphemy, you know, would have no resonance at all with Pilate, for the Romans cared little about their subjects' religious scruples. Their accusations are pitched in a manner designed to maximize the likelihood that Pilate will decide in their favor. Jesus is accused not just with subverting Jewish tradition, but with opposing the payment of taxes to Caesar, which of course was a blatant lie, and with claiming to be the Christ, the clear innuendo being that Jesus is putting himself forward as a rival king to the Roman emperor. Essentially, he is being made out to be a dangerous revolutionary whom Pilate cannot afford to ignore. And of course, this is all happening at Passover season when the nationalistic uh, sentiment and emotion of the Jewish people was always inflamed. The Romans were always wary of a potential revolt at Passover season. So from the Jewish leader's perspective, the timing of this was just perfect. Luke condenses Pilate's direct interaction with Jesus into a single Q&A session. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say. 
But Pilate is clearly unimpressed by the idea that this humble-looking, bedraggled-looking figure who stands before him offers any sort of threat to the famous Pax Romana, the Roman peace. As far as he's concerned, Jesus has no case to answer. I find no basis for a charge against him. That should have been the end of the matter. Case dismissed. But the Jewish leaders won't give up that easily. Jesus, they assert, is a political agitator, stirring up trouble all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now, when Pilate hears and has it confirmed that Jesus is from Galilee, he now sees an exit strategy for himself. Galilee is part of Herod's jurisdiction, and Roman law allowed for a trial to be conducted in the province to which the accused belonged. Moreover, Herod just happened to be in Jerusalem at this time, at Passover time, residing in his magnificent temple in the, to the, the west of the temple, sorry, in his magnificent palace to the west of the temple. Pilate must have thought at this moment that the Roman gods were shining upon him. And so Jesus is dispatched off into Herod's custody. Herod could not be more happy. For he's been hoping for this encounter for quite some time. Indeed, back in Luke 9 verse 9, we're told that Herod was wanting to meet Jesus and now was that moment. Maybe Jesus would perform a miracle for him, put on a bit of a magic show, but no such joy. Jesus will not play ball. And worse, he wouldn't even grant Herod the courtesy of answering his many questions. Just silence. Herod's curiosity now turns to contempt. The idea that this man, this Jesus, represents some sort of threat to him is regarded as a joke. And thus, egged on by the chief priests and teachers of the law, Herod resorts to ridicule and mockery before Jesus is returned to sender. And as a PS, Luke tells us that from that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Evidently, there was a fractious relationship between the pair. But Pilate had just now respected Herod's authority by sending Jesus to him. And so there's a reconciliation between them. I am reminded of the saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And of the words of Psalm 2 verse 3, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and his anointed one. Pilate then makes a third attempt to resolve the matter, calling the chief priests, the rulers, and the people to his judgment hall. He announces his verdict I have examined him in your presence 
and have found no basis for your charges against him. Jesus has simply done nothing to warrant a death sentence. So I'll punish him and then release him. And naturally, we balk at the idea of an innocent man, a man who's been declared to be innocent of him still being punished. But sometimes what the Romans would do to try to make the case go away completely was they would impose a a sentence of a light beating, what was called a fustigato, just a light beating, a relatively light beating. But Pilate's audience are not having it. Away with this man. And Pilate's offer to spare Jesus under the annual Passover prisoner release scheme is thrown back in his face as the crowd push instead for Barabbas to be spared the death penalty and released. And the irony here is palpable. The Jewish leaders are trying to get Pilate to impose a death sentence on Jesus. For what? For political insurrection. Whilst they stir up the crowd to get a man released who has already been convicted of political insurrection and murder. Pilate, we're told, wants to release Jesus. So he tries again. But crucify him, crucify him is the unanimous response. Pilate has one final go. He tries to reason with them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. I'll see to it that he is beaten and then I'll let him go. Now, we know from John's account of Jesus' encounter with Pilate. We know what they did, the Jewish leaders now do. They really ramp up the ante on Pilate because they now say to Pilate, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And as Daryl Bach comments, Servants of Rome, unfaithful to Caesar, are not servants for long. Pilate knows that if he doesn't act against Jesus, he risks his own demise. And so he succumbs to the pressure. Jesus was indeed beaten, not the light beating of the fustigato, but the dreaded flesh lacerating verberatio and then he was crucified on a cross the hatred of the Jewish establishment had prevailed over Rome's famous system of justice and an innocent man was sentenced to a most unjust death that's Jesus' encounter with Pilate and with Herod. And I want to uh, then draw out some lessons for ourselves. And they are six perils. That's not pearls as in the chain of pearls. Six perils as in six dangers. 
as regards how we respond to Jesus and his claim on our lives. The first two are drawn from the encounter with Herod and then the rest from Pilate. And the first one is the danger, the peril of superficiality. Herod's interest in meeting Jesus was only surface deep. It just tickled his fancy. He was curious. He was intrigued to finally meet this fellow that he had heard about so many reports about. Maybe Jesus would perform a miracle for him. Herod wanted to be entertained by Jesus. That was it, full stop. His approach was just frivolous. He had no concern for truth, no concern for what Jesus would have to say about sin or judgment. And when Jesus wouldn't perform for him, Herod simply lost interest. You and I must be careful that we don't fall into the Herodian trap. That Jesus is not some sort of magician or circus performer. He is not someone to be trifled with. Jesus responds to those who are genuinely interested in him. Note that Jesus had absolutely nothing to say to Herod. Verse 9, all those questions that were asked by Herod, Jesus gave him no answer. John Blanchard, the late John Blanchard, writes, that is one of the most dreadful phrases that you will read in the entire Bible. Jesus gave him no answer. You see, Jesus will always listen to those who are sincere in their desire to know him. But if you have no genuine desire to encounter him, do not expect to hear from him. Secondly, the peril of profanity. Herod was a most immoral man. He had no qualms about ridiculing and mocking Jesus. He put on him that elegant robe to make light of his claims to be a king. And unfortunately, we live in an age where blasphemy abounds, where Christ is the object of the most profane humor. Comedians will think twice about mocking Muhammad but they will not think twice about mocking Jesus Christ. But there will be a day of reckoning for all such blasphemers. And likewise, for those who treat the holy name of Jesus as a swear word, God is not going to allow his son's name to be derided forever. No doubt Herod enjoyed the spectacle of Jesus being taunted by his soldiers. But Herod will not enjoy the eternal consequences of his version of banter. There is no rightful place for the mockery of the one we've been thinking about this morning, the King of Kings. Thirdly, the peril of compromise. So we now move 
to Pilate. Pilate thought he could do a deal with the Jewish leaders. Look, I'll beat him instead of a guilty verdict. But the Jewish hierarchy wouldn't buy it. And the offer of a prisoner release backfired. And that temptation to do what Pilate did and to compromise is a permanent, permanent danger. In his commentary on Luke, Dale Ralph Davis um, talks about the case of Henry of Navarre. Now, you probably don't know who Henry of Navarre is. I certainly didn't. But Henry of Navarre was the Protestant heir to the French throne, who between 1590 and 1592 had managed by war to gain control of most of France, except where it mattered most. Paris was still in the control, under the control of the Catholic League. And so in 1593, Henry abandoned his Protestant faith and joined the Church of Rome. And he famously declared this, Paris is well worth a mass. Well, no, it's not. Paris isn't worth it. Nothing is worth selling out your faith for. Christ is worth everything. No compromise is ever acceptable. Number four, the peril of careerism, ambition. Above all else, Henry of Navarre wanted to be king of France. And anything that stood in the way, including his religious affiliation, could be sacrificed to that goal. Pilate wanted to curry favor with the emperor Tiberius. He would not risk an uprising in Judea led by one whom his opponents were saying was putting himself forward as a king. Pilate had no wish to lose his job, never mind his life. And thus he chose to do the dishonorable thing and he had Jesus crucified. And the menace of careerism of naked ambition is something that the church needs to take seriously. For how many Christians have lost their way because their job, their career has become their number one priority? Their faith now, call a spade a spade, just gets in the way. It's too demanding in time and resources. And you know, in this fellowship, we often sing, all my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender into your hands, for I am all for Jesus. But is that really true? Not if your career is dictating your choices, consuming all your time, and getting up to the next level in your workplace is what you have set your heart upon. Number five, the peril of cowardice. Even were we to cut Pilate some slack for his efforts, he did try to get Jesus released. The bottom line is that he acted in a cowardly manner. 
He knew that Jesus was innocent of charge. He knew that Jesus should be released. But he did the cowardly, the craven thing. He handed Jesus over to be crucified. Pilate was morally weak. He did not possess the strength of character to ensure that justice was upheld. As we in Northern Ireland would say, Pilate just lapped it. He acted like a chicken. To act with the courage of your convictions is a blessed thing. To do what is right, whatever the cost. To face down the mockers. To be willing, if necessary, to defy your parents, your family, your friends. To be a true follower of Christ. It takes guts. And to be willing to refuse to go along with the crowd and to stand up in today's world for moral absolutes, to stand up for the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. It takes courage. It takes courage out there, not in here. Out there it takes courage. So to use another colloquialism, some of us maybe need to man up. And finally, the peril of abdication. Pilate tried to pass the buck by delivering Jesus over to Herod. That ploy, of course, failed. And when he chose to give in to the demands for Jesus' death, he famously sought to absolve himself of guilt by, as Matthew tells us, publicly washing his hands and saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. But Pilate could not evade his personal responsibility so easily because only he could give the order for Jesus' crucifixion. The Jewish leaders were powerless to do that. Pilate's abdication, his dereliction of his legal and moral duty, was a terrible crime in the sight of God and one for which he will be forever remembered. And we cannot abdicate from our responsibility to come to a decision on the claims of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Lord, or is he not? You cannot pass the buck on that. You have to choose. Jesus shed his blood for you. It was your sin that he died for on the cross, and you cannot wash your hands of that truth. In closing, you might be wondering, or maybe you're not, but you might be wondering, what became of our twin villains, Herod and Pilate? Herod died in exile in Spain. He was exiled by the Roman emperor Caligula on a charge of conspiracy. Aptly, it was Agrippa, his wife's brother, who informed Caligula of the alleged plot. So we might say that Herod the fox was outfoxed by his own nephew. And what of Pilate? Pilate was apparently removed as governor of Judea in 36 or 37 AD. He was recalled to Rome to face trial because he had given the order for the slaughter of a group of Samaritans. 
Some think that he committed suicide, although that is far from proven. And despite the efforts to rehabilitate him by some branches of Christendom, you might be surprised to know that both the Egyptian and Coptic churches revere Pilate as a saint because they claim that he repented of his sin of giving the order for the crucifixion. Despite that, Pilate is immortalized in the minds of most men as the one who gave his consent to a huge injustice. And both the apostles and the Nicene creeds contain the line that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. What a dreadful epitaph that is. So there we must leave it. Herod the horrible, Pilate the prevaricator, contemptible men who messed up their personal encounter with Christ and let none of us be in the same boat. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.